when you're building a homebrew location, whether it's a city or a country or a realm, whatever it is, how much history do you put into the timeline before your players actually jump in? Right. Let's roll for it. Let's do it. Ten. Nine. I got a 17. Same order. No, not same order. I don't know numbers. <laughs> um, honestly, it's uh, I will put in a ridiculous amount of effort. I'm thinking about when the first settlers landed. Why did they stop here? What? Why does this city exist in this place? Um, and I do that for every roadside inn. When I sit there and I plot out how many days it takes to get from this castle to this keep, and it's seven days on the road, I'm sitting there going, all right, every day or so, by horseback, they'd probably have some sort of tavern or roadside inn for people to... You're going to pull a profit, right? On like a daily... They're going to want to rest for, for food. So every, let's say, 12 hours down the road... And I'm doing that math yeah. in my head. And it's probably overkill. <laughs> but I, I... We call it high prep, remember? Yeah, Not right, over prep. Right, 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 right. Uh, you were next. Um, I I used to do minimal. It would be more almost more kind of mythical or legend. Like uh, there was a war here around two hundred years ago. What was the war about? I don't fucking know. Probably somebody didn't agree with somebody else. Like um, politics. Politics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Left and right. Shocker. Um, but now I I've learned that I have to do more because of players in the world like Dan that will be like, well, I want to go and find the tome of history on this. Okay, you find it. And now usually I would say, oh, it, it talks about this and discusses these very general things, pointing him in a certain direction. But there's the players like Dan, God love him, plays D&D in a certain way that be like, can I get a copy of the text of that specific book that you didn't know I was going to ask for randomly and it's to do with the flower arrangements of the inn 200 years ago? Yeah. And I'd be like, oddly enough, Dan, I don't have that prepped. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm starting to learn what I should prep in more detail. So small, but getting bigger. That's that's the name of your sex tape. Anyways, yes. Dave? Uh, I don't. Period. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really just that simple. God, how it, do you live so freely, Dave? <laughs> I'm lazy. So, uh, as it should be no surprise to anybody, I am a huge fan of Eberron. So, every time that I'm going to do uh, a non-module, it's just going to be an Eberron. I know the history there. I know the lore there. I can insert what I need to. Name of my tape. Yeah. Yep. And... Uh, and other than that, like it's, it, it all just kind of writes itself and stuff's there. If they need to go find the thing, it's over here. Uh, it's, you have a foundation, you know the history it's already. It's pre-established, yeah. So I just kind of stick to the one thing that I know. If I'm not going to work in that, I'm going to be working in a module that will give me most of the information that I already need. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation about the lore of important locations in D&D 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me this week are Dave and Terry, and this episode is called Waterdeep, for when you're feeling a little shitty. But shitty is with with Sean Connery's accent, because it's city, and when you're feeling a little shitty. Feeling a little shitty. <laughs> wasn't no. as good. Not as good? Alright. Could have been Waterdeep, Deep Dive or something? No. No? No. I d it was... Okay. No. Water harder, faster, water yeah. faster, water harder, water deeper. No. What are you doing? So Dave's having a stroke. All right, so um, we're, we're starting off in a good way, guys. So uh, get comfortable because I'm going to monologue for a little bit. Um, Why should today be any different? Uh, I started off asking about the history and lore and how much you guys put into it. 
Guess how much history and lore there is for Waterdeep. Eight pages. Oh, oh, far more than that. The problem is none of it is in uh, fifth edition. They just kind of like poke at it and they say kind of generally, this is by by the broad strokes what you need to know. Yeah. And there's no real details. Uh, I was looking through the uh, Sorko's Adventures Guide and um, the, of course, Waterdeep books themselves. And Fandelver takes place a certain portion of it in Waterdeep as well. Uh, and it's got bits and pieces of information, but it doesn't really give you the whole idea of what this city is all about. So get comfy because here it is. I, sure. I went through previous editions because apparently it's all still in canon. Um, we're going to start 2,700 years ago. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, God, I feel like I'm in school again. I hated this 16 years ago. Is this with the elves? Uh, yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. Oh, because elves. Because some of this... It's always elves. Come it on. always starts <laughs> off with elves. Some of this is going to be really important for um, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and yep. some of it's going to be really important for Dragon Heist, and some of it is moderately important for um, the Lost Minds of Fandelver. I'm also going to try to stay spoiler-free for anything that's happening in these modules, so anytime that there's an important event that happens, I'm just going to be like, and NPC does this, so that anyone that's going to play it doesn't get a big spoiler. But uh, here we go. Let's let's dive in. Roughly 2,700 years ago, Terry, <laughs> the area known as Waterdeep was a wild place full of large trees, and only elves, goblinoids, and dwarves lived in the area. At around this time, the dwarves started mining mithril, which is not not the same mithril as um. Uh, Lord of the Rings. It's technically different, you guys. Is there a technical difference, though? The spelling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but they started to mine the mithril from the mountains beside the elven city of, I'm going to guess at this, uh, Elintheldar. God damn it. That one's a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, eventually, they ended up digging under the city itself, which made the elves nervous. But they wielded powerful magic to enchant the ground so that the surface would remain intact and not collapse into the mines below, and that's still the way it is now, which is why we have this massive mega dungeon underneath the city. Ah. The magical mines and tunnels would eventually become known as Undermountain. A couple of hundred years later, I'm going to be doing that a lot, a couple hundred years go by and then this, because I went through 2,700 years of lore. A couple of hundred years later, human <laughs> barbarians and wild folk moved up from the southern human kingdoms. Uh... Elinthildar was abandoned, and the humans started trading with southern merchants. The, deforesta uh, the deforestation in the south was terrible, so huge ships came north to harvest the massive trees that were around the areas, and obviously deep waters were preferred, so the areas that surrounded these natural ports became deforested first. The Netherese, are you guys familiar with these? Have you heard this phrase before? I have heard it, but maybe refresh us. The Netherese is, um, remember the, the story of Atlantis in like reality? It's a super advanced ancient civilization right. that just kind of disappeared one day. Yeah. That's the Netherese. The Netherese were humans with dark skin and light hair that were super freaking magical and ran around in flying cities. And then all of a sudden one day, shit happened. The cities crashed. The Netherese disappeared. And there are all of these obelisks all over the place. And they pop up in all of the major modules that take place in the Forgotten Realms. There's an obelisk that's mentioned. Do we know what happened to them? Uh, it depends on your source and which edition. Okay. So, like, lore and rumor says, and mm. that's kind of it. Right? It's been retconned and changed a few times, so no one really knows. Uh, Dan is under the impression that we're going to find out what the deal is with all these obelisks 
at the end of fifth edition. The final module is going to be like, oh, here's a big storyline meet. So, oh, like Lost? Kinda, yeah. <laughs> uh, except there will be some resolution in fifth oh, edition. Oh, there will yeah, be, yeah. yeah. Unless Evangeline Lilly, which is a shame. <laughs> um, we can dream. Uh, the Netherese is an advanced civilization of ancient humans. They moved in about 2,200 years ago and clashed with the dwarves underground. So they came in underground and started to um, fight with the dwarves about territory that was under there. At the same time, the drow became to uh, came up and they began to encroach upon the mines um, within a couple of decades of this as well. So they were coming up from the Underdark. So the dwarves were under attack from two different sides underground. The humans above, these wild tribes, had no idea this was going on under their feet. Really? Eventually, the drow carved out a large portion for themselves, but when the weave, which is what all the magic, like yeah. that's the source of magic yeah. in D&D, was disrupted 1,800 years ago, the Netherese enclave collapsed, all the Netherese cities crashed, the Netherese disappeared, and what remained is now known as Skullport, which is a major thing in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Truth. Uh, Skullport is a subterranean port far below Waterdeep that remains quite active now, but I'll get to all that shit in a minute. About 1,400 years ago, humans began to set up permanent farms in the deforested areas and use the area as a main hub for trade. 200 years go by, and then a wizard named Halister Black Cloak, who, if you are not familiar, spoiler alert, is a mad mage. Ah, ah. So, this is 1,200 years in the past. Halister Black Cloak created a wizard's tower known as Halister's Hold near the farming communities. You're saying uh, Halister with an H, not Alistair. That's right, Halister. I should have known it wouldn't be a normal name. No, <laughs> it's, it's not. Um, for nearly 150 years, he led raids which brutally exterminated the Drow and Duragar in Undermountain. And during this time, the Drow increased their attacks upon the dwarves, driving them out as well. When the Drow were mostly gone, Halister led his apprentices, known as the Seven, into Undermountain, and they abandoned Halister's hold which now lies in disrepair outside of Waterdeep. So there's a old, decrepit wizard's tower out there. At this point, Halister and his machinations faded into rumor. Almost 200 years after that, so almost a thousand years ago, a human warlord named Ulbarag Bloodhand... Fuck. Because why not? Yep. United the tribes at Waterdeep and claimed the settled uh, lands as Bloodhand Hold. And he created a fortress there. He provided structure to the uh, exportation of lumber to the south. And this was a time of great prosperity when construction and irrigation was introduced to the area. Meanwhile, the last drow finally abandoned their homes at Undermountain. And we think Halister has complete dominion over what's going on down there. About 800 years ago, a massive orc horde swept through the human lands and laid waste to the area. But Bloodhand Hold remained intact. In the aftermath, the Kingdom of Man was formed. And while Bloodhand Hold remained independent, it's largely considered now to be part of that kingdom back then. This peace lasted until the king died, so like a handful of years. Uh, and then the kingdom devolved into a civil war, and Bloodhand Hold largely avoided it and was one of the handful of places that still stayed in the area. Yes, Dave? Oh, nothing. Okay. Uh, for nearly another two centuries, Bloodhand Hold weathered poor harvests, raging fires, raids, and skirmishes, all while growing and maintaining trade with the south. So this was really the place in the north. And the Sword Coast that we have, that we deal with, 
is the northern part of the west coast of the continent of Faerun, mm. right? So um, about 700 years ago, a tribal leader known as Nemoar the Reaver forcibly seized the land and renamed Bloodhand Hold into Neomar's Hold. Under Neomar's Hold, um, or under Neomar's rule, the small fort survived a pirate attack and an incursion from other tribes as well. But after only 50 years of thriving, a blood plague swept over the Sword Mountains and the Orc Horde reunified and displaced a number of beasts and animals that were pushed west toward the human settlement. You follow me so far? I'm with you. Okay. Among these number of creatures was a small army of trolls. So the orcs unified to the Great Horde, started to build power, everything fled, and then essentially sieged uh, Waterdeep. The next hundred years or so was actually known as the Troll Wars, which is kind of fun. Eventually, the humans were successful in defeating their enemies. During the Troll Wars, Neomar's Hold was finally officially renamed to Waterdeep, and the massive orc army was defeated. Two main figures came into prominence during the Troll Wars, the mage Agarion and the warlord Ralor. Ralor wanted to expand and create the empire. He was essentially the king of this now. Um, but Agarion argued strongly against this, and when Ralor tried to have the mage arrested, Agarion turned Ralor's sword into a venomous snake, which bit and killed the warlord. Agarion then declared himself the first lord of Waterdeep. This is important because we still have the Lords of Waterdeep today. Um, this also created a government that implemented the use of a council of secret masked lords to oversee the city. And the government lasted for centuries. So, this city is run by a council of unknown figures. They wear robes and they wear masks and they hold council and court, but no one knows who they are. In present day... There are a few of them that are known. There's one, and I'll get to that. Okay. Um, but at the time, there were none. Um, under this new regime, Waterdeep secured more lands to the north and created large roads to them. They, it expanded its territories beyond the city itself, and that's why the city was named the Crown of the North, because the roads kind of made something that looked like a crown. A couple of other major restructurings happened during this time. This time the army and navy were transformed into the City Watch and the City Guard. City Watch, of course, is internal. City Guard is external. So, police and military. Um, Waterdeep identified the more the, the four main segments of the city known as wards. Anyone listening to the Eberron series will recognize that. The idea of separating these cities into wards, um, which are bigger even than districts. So far, there's Castle Ward, Trades Ward, Dock Ward, and Temple Ward. They don't get too creative naming them. Yeah, it's pretty basic. <laughs> yep. Uh, over the next few decades, strange creatures from other planes began coming out of Undermountain, and they needed to be fought back. A powerful spell was cast to create a barrier against flying creatures, and a Netherese necromancer resurfaced, called himself the Lord of Bones, and discovered the abandoned enclave that was below, and that's where he created Skullport. He used it to open trade routes to the Underdark by waterways and by a series of portals to far lands as well. So Skullport is under the city and is a fully active merchant port. Uh, criminals, spies, and political subterfuge started to gear up in Waterdeep, so Agarion created city guilds based off successful models in the south. Guilds are another major factor. Also during his rule, the population became so big that they had to devote a portion of the city to a giant series of tombs because graveyards 
were just now impractical. This created a cemetery district called the City of the Dead, but problems with undead forced this area to have it segregated from the rest of Waterdeep. Seems to always be the case. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we got a big city. We got a lot of dead people. We're going to have a place. We're always going to name it City of the Dead. And there's undead problems yeah. coming from <laughs> Which there. we already knew existed in the world from all of our history and lore. Exactly. <laughs> Should we bury them all here? I'm sure it'll be fine this time. Right? Yeah, they did that in uh, in Eberron too, didn't they? Yeah. Outside of, outside of Sharn. Yeah. Yeah. Burn them. <laughs> After Agarion died 250 years ago, so he lived a long time. The secret of Lords of Waterdeep were systematically hunted down and murdered by the Council of Guildmasters, who seized control of the city. The following six years were rife with bickering and violence, and the era is remembered as the Guild Wars. It was incredibly bloody, and only two Guildmasters survived it. They ruled as Lords Magister, but they almost always were at each other's throats and arguing about everything. During this time, the Thieves' Guild of Waterdeep was established. Only two original lords of Waterdeep still remained in secret. A blacksmith named Baron and a mage's apprentice named Shilarn. Baron is a guy and Shilarn is, is a girl. Uh, Baron revealed his identity, but Shilarn didn't. And after regaining power by killing the lord's magister, Shilarn allowed Baron to assume the role of open lord, which is what Dave meant before about one person who's not masked. And he reestablished the Lords of Waterdeep from all the nobility and the community leaders. But nobody knows which ones are these masked lords and which ones aren't. So there's only one person that is now a public face and everyone else is still masked. Over the next few years, the city stabilized and even expanded to include two new wards, which were North Ward and Sea Ward. Bayron and Shalarn eventually married and had a daughter who ruled for a brief time after her father passed away from a fever, and her mother threw herself into a funeral pyre. I mean, that's just... That's what you do, right? Everybody's yeah. so dramatic in this game. This is why we don't burn anything. No, we got to bury them instead. That's right. Otherwise, you have weeping war widows. And that was jumping. wrong. You're right. I should yeah. have suggested that. It, it, a funeral becomes a barbecue, and yeah. nobody wants that. No, not after last time. <laughs> the next few decades were full of minor turmoils, but life continued on a water deep. 140 years ago, Mistra, the goddess of magic died. There was a series of power struggles between some gods including Shar, Selun, and Mirkul, and at one point the inn known as the Yawning Portal opened up and spewed fiends and undead into the streets of Waterdeep because the gods were mucking about. Fortunately, Elminster, the famous wizard, and a number of heroes stepped up to save the city. Two of the heroes named Midnight and Siric actually ascended to godhood. So there's a lot of religious stuff happening in Waterdeep as well. Almost a decade later, Halister Blackcloak suddenly reappeared and released hordes of unknown monsters into the city. There was massive bloodshed and Undermountain became a focus of conversation again. Six years after that, though, Halister mysteriously died. As a result, earthquakes shook Waterdeep and many Waterdavians, which is what Waterdeep people are called, Water Davians had visions of the mage's death. So it was a big deal when he died. About 30 years later, the spell plague ravaged Toril and six walking statues appeared from the ethereal plane and rampaged through the city. These massive statues were eventually stopped, but they're so big and they're immovable, so they just sit dormant and dead in the middle of Waterdeep. 
And they've just built structures around these six statues that are just now still. How big are they? Uh, absolutely fucking huge. They tower over buildings. Well, this gives me an idea for a yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, tier four level encounter. Yeah, we'll get yeah. to it. Um, these days, the Mask Lords still rule over the city known as the City of Splendors. That's its nickname. Uh, and it's kept safe by the city watch and the city guard. There are 42 noble families. I ran into that number a couple of times and other people are like, there's more than 42. There's some argument about it. But there are roughly 42 noble families still running things in Waterdeep. But they really look down on the rest of the city and there's definitely a caste system here. Really? Yeah. Um, guilds make up a large part of the economy of the city and many factions operate within the population that numbers well over 130,000. There's another million within the Waterdavian territories. It's the second most popular city in the Sword Coast after Baldur's Gate. The population is over 50% humans, but dwarves and elves each make up about a tenth of the population, with halflings and half-elves, then gnomes and half-orcs rounding out the majority from there. Uh, you're not going to find a whole lot of dragonborn or tieflings even in here. Uh, and if you walk in as a goliath or a lizard folk or a grung you'll be a sight for sore eyes like nobody is going to be mm. used to you so um crime is really not tolerated and any criminal activities or disturbances are met with swift harsh and severe justice standard the laws as you'd expect or is there anything weird which is illegal that you may, we maybe wouldn't expect no it's pretty much the, the same thing you'll you'll get a warning if you Break customs. But same kind of values. Don't steal. Don't kill people. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the lore and history overall of Waterdeep and what we deal with now. Yeah. It it itself is kind of a, a pre-Victorian feel to it yeah. in a lot of ways. Although there are definitely uh, ruffles on shirts as well. Like... It looks almost um, Shakespearean as far as architecture and stuff goes as well, right? There's yeah, like I imagine pressed together buildings that are cobblestone, kind of, tall and narrow, kind of yeah. warped and ceiling sagging a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it is such a large area of land that they've got places, they've got entire wards that are like countryside over here for us to go riding in. Right, right. And then they've got poor districts and merchant districts, and like it's big. They've got one hundred and thirty thousand residents. But it is a port where large ships can dock. And that's what makes it unique is the fact that you don't have the ships moored out there in the lagoon sending in small rowboats. Yeah. They come right up to the docks because the water is deep. Um, so, yeah, it's shocker, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, they should touch on that more somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you guys feel about exploring this from a DM perspective? Is this a setting that interests you? <sighs> Yep. Let's let's grab dice. Let's roll. Seventeen. I got a twelve. Dave. I got a six. Yeah. Uh, it does interest me, but man, it's intimidating though. It's intimidating because there's so much going on. But I would love to be able to get it right. This is like for me as a DM, what I dream of achieving is look how I did this correctly, and everybody goes, "Oh my goodness, you pulled up off, off water deep so tremendously, Terry. You are without doubt the greatest DM we've ever had." However. I don't know if I would be able to do that to the level that I want to be able to. The books themselves, the two books that you get, are really good at painting a very personal picture yeah. of what your players are going to deal with in their adventure. Right. 
if you go off script and go to other areas and hey, you know what? I know we're supposed to go into Under Mountain today, but I want to go over to North Ward and I want to go talk to the there's stuff to do, but not a lot. You're making up a lot of it as you go. Right. So with the modules, as always, the closer you stick to the railroad, the easier it's going to be for a DM. That's right. And that's if if the if the key information is there to help you pull it off, that's great. Because I I go through reactionary make shit up phases, and I, I did that with Strahd. You know, just okay. I guess we're fucking do this now. I hopefully this ties in with the railroad. Uh, and, but if the, if the, the you know, and that was like what Kresk I was doing that. If it's yeah. like water deep, I might get it wrong at some point. So yeah, I I feel like as a DM, I want to have players that either. Have never played in it before and don't know I've gotten it wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or know it so well that I can say, "Oh, and of course you can see the coach is going by," and they'll just know what that means, and I don't have to know what it means. They right. Just, yeah. You look up and you see some 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 figures flying, and like, oh, well, those, oh, those, and we all those know, are the Griffins. And right? we all know what that means. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you're right. It Waterdeep is intimidating. This breakdown that I found is tip of the iceberg for what's available to find online from previous editions. The Forgotten Realms had, you know how every once in a while in 5th edition we get a hardcover book that comes out for Eberron, and that's our Eberron book, and Theros, that's our Theros book, and then, yeah. oh, hey, we got Baldur's Gate to send an average, that's our Baldur's Gate book. Forgotten Realms got, what, 20 plus books in 3.5? Right. So there is so much fucking information out there. And people have been systematically putting it up online, and there are a million different wiki articles, and like there's a lot... And it's it alone is intimidating. I tried to dig through YouTube videos for it as well, and I'm like, wow, this is a seven minute blurb on on the history of this didn't get into half of what's out there, right? Yeah. Like it's all either really broad strokes or way too much information. And it's hard to really figure out what's important and what isn't without becoming a fucking historian. <laughs> um I learned shit about city planning in medieval ages while I was looking this up. <laughs> Uh, this is this is too much for me. Like, it's, it's interesting. I like knowing it. I'm never gonna use this shit <laughs> yeah, in D and I'm just I'm just doing it for my own sake at this point. So I like Waterdeep definitely. I want to go in and visit it once and then move the fuck on. Yeah. Like, I want to acknowledge it in the Forgotten Realms. I don't really want to wade through it unless I'm doing one of the. I like the modules are laid out so nicely. I would want to either create my own module in there and I've done the deep dive and I know my shit. Or I'm just going to skip off the surface like a YouTube video. Yeah. Now, Dave, you've got a little bit more experience with Waterdeep DMing it than we do. So I would not use it at all, but I'm currently using it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Explain uh, yourself. <laughs> I, I, I just started like a month ago running Dungeon of the Mad Mage for my old 3.5 people. We did, we switched over to 5th edition, did the Lost Minds of Fendelver, and now we're on to the next 5th level plus adventure, which... Just happened to be Dungeon of the Mad Mage. It fits. So we've made that. I tied the two of them together, which isn't traditionally how it's supposed to run. But it works out. But it works out, right? The levels are the same. I can make the rest of it up. Uh, now, we pretty much just passed through Waterdeep to the Yawning Portal. And that's where the interaction was. So that kind of spared me from having to really get into what Waterdeep is. Uh, although having it be such a major metropolis... I would probably just not do the research that I have done for other cities and just steal that. Like, oh, yeah. just put Sharn in there and call it Waterdeep. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I would probably avoid certain things like the Sky Docks. 
I probably wouldn't include that. I probably wouldn't include the floating city at the top. Like, like the, the signature this, Sharn yeah, pieces? Yeah, yeah. This is the, the city of splendor, not the city of towers, right? Like, yeah. Let's keep it, you know, a little more relaxed. But it would be very much the same, you know, reskinned with a different mm-hmm. name. Because that's how I roll, because I don't like doing all that much prep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I think I would just do a city that I know in the real world. <laughs> just Until somebody just goes, hang on, is this New West? Are we in New West right now? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, I, any final thoughts about DMing it? No? Like, it's just, it's intimidating, don't, isn't it? Just don't do it for your first time. This is it for your first time. Well, I mean, jump in. You do you, right? Yeah. Like, but it's an undertaking. It is. Yeah, okay, you're right. Okay, I'll take that back. You may be so passionate about whether you've done a lot of research and got yourself to a point that you think you're prepped for it. Um, Yeah, so don't run it unless you absolutely are prepped. (laughs) No, I disagree because you look at... Okay, so when I look at a module, one of the first things I look at is the level progression through the module. Right. Something like Dragon Heist is 1 to 5, and that's pretty much... That it takes place in Waterdeep. Yeah, I, there's a lot of backroom deals and stuff. Like, you're not walking down Main Street a lot, but there is some. Right. Sure, but when I look at it as a module being suitable for a first-level character, like a party of a first-level character, I also look at that as being relatively suitable for a DM of a first-level experience, right? So maybe you're not going to get that whole picture, but it's a good place to start. You know, maybe, maybe don't jump into that fifth-level Dungeon of the Mad Mage right then and there. If you're not ready for it, but I, I, I feel like there's some correspondence there. It also, because now I'm changing my opinion. That's what I do, people. I flip-flop my opinion based <laughs> on what other people say. <laughs> it, it, because when you're one to five, basically there's less fucked up shit that you can do to screw over the DM. You know, you're not going out there casting earthquake. I in the don't know, man. Like level one to five is when you get your your murder hobos in full murdering hobo splendor and and adam you're absolutely right i'll change my opinion (laughs) (laughs) okay no all right so here's the thing is if i'm going to run it in a metropolis my random tables are going to be strangers that you're going into or merchants or random citizens out on the street people visiting uh sailors i'm going to have a different i'm going to have uh criminals and thugs in back alleys or drunks in the yawning portal depending on where i'm going in the city i've got six wards six different random tables for what kind of encounter you're going to run into. But I can't just be like, oh, there's two bandits. Because I I, I can't have one bandit, two bandits, or up to 20 bandits, yeah. right? So, uh, like, at what point is, like, are you running out of shit? This is where your advanced, your experienced DM is going to have a little bit more of an advantage than your inexperienced DM. Um, so, I think that you're right. It's geared for early adventuring for players. There are some that are clearly meant for first-time DMs and others that are absolutely not. I think that uh, Tomb of Annihilation will murder a brand new DM. There is some rough ways of going through that. Like, there are some crazy hard rules. I disagree because if you are a new DM, that's the standard. That's what you're getting yourself into. If you agree to DM something in a game that's in a system that you've never done before, then you're going to be doing all of this prep and you're going to get it right from the get-go. I am so ingrained in what I already do. If you take me over to the Tomb of Annihilation where we're actually calculating if your water good enough, do you have insect repellent? Man, I don't do that stuff. Like, 
I hardly make them track spell components, okay? <laughs> We're there to play a game, not be anal about what's in your backpack. Oh, man. Right? I do. Fucking right. If you don't have the component, you're not doing it. If somebody slight a hands and they steal your component pouch, suck a dick. You're not to, doing it. To, to a point. <laughs> Is that how you, you get it back? That's it. If, if you need a diamond worth 25,000 gold pieces in order to cast this spell, you're going to need it. But if you need a crow feather to cast it, you, <laughs> yeah, got, yeah, you got your crow feather, okay? Like, let's not... Yeah, okay. When, when, as soon as there's a dollar amount, I start to look at it when it comes yeah. to spell components. But that's beside the point. No, I hear what you're saying. Like, this is your standard. You come in and you learn it. But when you're already learning brand new mechanics and you're still trying to figure out what a round in combat looks like and what even is initiative, the idea of having random tables to talk to. And I think that a metropolis is just an extra level of complication. That's why we normally start in a tavern in the middle of the woods right? yeah like it, that's... it's more but i don't think it's harder uh, okay you're right the level of difficulty is not not any more difficult it's just that there's more of it and i think that it can be really intimidating for new dms yeah um because the three of us all sat here and said yeah this shit is intimidating right <laughs> to run as a dm so as a new dm it's almost like dave your argument is well they don't know enough to be intimidated so fuck them <laughs> I mean, but, I, but then I think it comes down to the the players at the table because I feel like I'm at a level right now where if the if a new DM who just doesn't know any better would be like, and there's a Fairbold, um juggling, and he's part of a caravan of people, and now he's mad. I'd be like, none of those sound like things that a Fairbold would do. Why would he do that? And why are there Fairbolds in a metropolis? Please answer me these. St- like exactly, yeah, yeah. So you have to not be a dick. All right, that brings me to my next question. What interests you as a player about this when you want to... Would you play in Waterdeep? I don't know. I never get to play. No, no, no. Assuming that you do. Yeah, let's roll. Four. I got a 19. I got a nine. Man, I'm just rocking this shit today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I play in this. And I would have to do everything in my power to not be that kind of dick character that would be like... What does the sewer system look like between the street level and the top of Undermount? Well, that may be because you're coming up with a plan, though. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm scheming, I'm plotting the entire time. Right? Yeah, I've got a, I've, and I Which myself is even more reason to not give you those answers. <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, Terry learned that the hard way in Curse yeah. Rod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I went through. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's the standard. Get with it, or you're fucked. That's uh, what I went through. I'm a cleric, so I can make holy water, right? Yeah. How many gallons per day can I make? <laughs> <laughs> that was a legit question. And that's what I'm talking about. When I was like reactionary, making it up. <laughs> you can't do that in a metropolis. But uh, no, as a player, I absolutely want to walk around because it doesn't feel like it's high fantasy. There's not like candles floating down the street at night right. to illuminate. Like it's not that kind of. I step on. On this large stone, like this large flat stone, and it hovers in the air and carries me like a... There's none of that crazy shit. You're not teleporting around the city. There's maybe a little bit of that, but that's not really what we're dealing with. Yeah, it's a dark, dirty metropolis. Yeah, Yeah. and so I'm really a fan of this. I I actually really like this. To walk around, I would want to play... This is when I want to play my rogue character. Hmm. I want to get behind the scenes, into the guilds, into the... The underworld here. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. We come back from the commercial after this. But, but like, there are, there's a lot of factions and guilds and stuff. I'd want to explore that. Yeah. Meeting people in alleys. And- yeah. Who's next? Dave. 
Meeting people in alleys. And who's next? Yeah. Meet, it's, it was meeting people in alleys and who's next, Dave? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I mean, as a player, you know, I, honestly, I'm having a harder and harder time putting myself in the shoes of a player. It's just, it's been a while. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I like. I, I would like to experience new place settings, like big set pieces of the D&D world. You know, I hear about Waterdeep all the time, but I mean, I never played in it. So I would like to know. Again, with like Baldur's Gate, I've heard a lot about it. There's lots of video games, but hell, I've got a board game that's got Baldur's Gate in the title of it, but I've never really yeah, what explored is, it. What, what is, I still, I haven't done the research into Baldur's Gate. I don't know the difference between the feel of Baldur's Gate and the feel of Waterdeep. Uh, I think one's got deep water. And one has a big gate for your Never mind, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I, I I only slightly know the difference between Icewind Dale and Neverwinter. Yeah, but but it, like that's, my interest is surface level. I want to I wanna understand it because it's... Something you don't already know. It's like, what's presented, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to explore it, but I'm not interested in getting into city politics and, and stuff like that. Well, I you just, don't run political campaigns. No, no. I want to just go run my adventure and kill a bunch of high-level bad guys and get my magic sword you know yeah yeah uh for me i think i'm too exploratory my personality is terry's i'm always looking around the next corner that's great that's beautiful what's over there yeah and i'm gonna do that in this game because i'm gonna be so fascinated by it. i will be the player that says dm i need an old priest a young priest i need a horsehair wig and i need a unicorn where can i find these <laughs> things because i'm trying i'm scheming i'm trying to put these things together uh and i'll just want to explore everything meet Everybody, I'm going to talk for 45 minutes to the baker that you just had to make up off the top of your head because I'm fascinated. His name is Roderick. <laughs> and I'll know if you're making it up. And I'll say, that doesn't sound like what Roderick would do. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I do want to play in it, but I feel like for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I'm not for the wrong reasons, for reasons that may be difficult to accommodate. I want Waterdeep to be a Grand Theft Auto game so I can just wander into every building and see what's behind every dumpster. That's right. A... And I don't necessarily need to go through the crazy adventure of Dragon Heist. I'm just like, what's in this place? Right? And unfortunately, 5th edition, if you don't follow the modules directly, there's not a whole lot that you find there. Dave, you ran Fandalver, right? Yeah. And they were in Waterdeep for a little bit? No. Oh, uh, okay. How it, it was like a passing through. That's where they left oh, from. Oh, that's Waterdeep. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they they left there on their way too. They got hired while they were there, and uh, oh, geez, you know what? Now I'm thinking about it. That might have been Neverwinter. I don't remember. <laughs> was there snow? I don't know. <laughs> okay, no, it was two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, seventeen degrees. Or, or yeah, like, that's, that's it, literally it was... every. Uh, hold on, hold on. I can do this. That's it's seventy-two degrees. For America. Oh, for the audience. <laughs> so, good job. Yeah. But I just, I, yeah, I mean, maybe it could have happened, but I, uh, okay. It was not memorable. And at the beginning of uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, it's not a big set piece, is it? No, I got them to, it, it depends what you want to do. If you're going from Dragon Heist into Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I'm sure it's drastically different. However, I had my guys um, meet up with, the Harpers, which is an organization in 5th yeah. edition, uh, there's a, a way for them to join up with that organization through the Fendalver module. So one of them had done that. And then right in the plot hooks of Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's a Harper 
in the yawning portal that's trying to send you on a mission. So there's my connection right there. I just had to push them in the right direction. Right, so they just had to go in, go find this guy, and move on. Hmm. Okay. All right, so let's jump out to a commercial really quickly, and then we're going to uh, move into who lives in Waterdeep, what you can expect out of the people there. Hey guys, Dan here. If you remember this time last year, us here at the It's a Mimic podcast were working on and releasing a small Call of Cthulhu campaign. Because hey, it's that spooky time of year, and what's more spooky than the Elder Gods slowly invading our reality, bending our minds to their wills, making us sacrifice to further their dark sirens calls. Anyways, um, by popular demand, we're at it again. This time helmed by the podcast's own Keeper of Arcane Secrets, Adam. Starting on October 13th and then every 13th of the month for the next year, the story I started in Radiance Yukon will continue towards a little southern rural town named Amelia. So make sure you download and listen to the many roads to Amelia. And if you're hungry for more Call of Cthulhu actual play, you can always refresh your lore with the deep dark of Radiance in our back catalog. Anyways, back to the show. Okay, so there are four noble houses that are listed in the Dragon Heist book. They are, and here's your broad strokes because there's going to be a lot of other ones, but here's kind of your examples. Uh, House Amkathra, who focuses on horse breeding and training, cattle ranching, winemaking, and weaponsmithing. Their family motto is, we trample our troubles. They gave mottos to all of them, and I'm like, that's... That one's terrible. Yep. I like it. Um, House Margister whose business interests lie in land-based shipping and bulk goods trading. The house also has a quiet history of wizardry that they don't talk about. The family motto is, nothing is beyond our grasp. I like that better. How, uh, house Phyland. 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 None of this is spelt like you would think it would be. <laughs> uh, who captures and sells monsters. Monsters that can't be trained as pets or guard beasts are sold to arenas or harvested for their meat, bones, and skins. The Phylons sponsor adventuring parties and monster hunting expeditions, and their motto is, What you fear, we master. This is my favorite one so far. Just, like, ramping it up here. And then there's House Rosnar, not the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails. House Rosnar, who was banished for smuggling, slavery, and other criminal activities, but has recently been welcomed back and is trying to go legit. Recently been welcomed back. Yeah, because <laughs> it was banished in there. Yeah, it was banished a long time ago, okay. and, and now they're they're a little bit more legit. You're fine. Come yeah, on. they're trying to overcome their dark reputation. Uh, there is kind of a I'm not going to get into it because there's so much fucking lore, but there was a whole issue in previous editions where some of the noble families were selling their nobility to uh, common folk, and then the other noble families like, hey, you're sullying the name of what it means to be noble. Mm. And so there's recently been a return back to nobility where they've kicked out all the new nobles, reinstated the nobility of all the old nobles, even if they're poor. And they've welcomed back House Rosnar. Oh, I see. They were doing that thing like you can buy a two-foot square in Scotland and call yeah. yourself it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're overcoming their dark reputation by focusing on legitimate business ventures such as winemaking and gem trading. And their family motto is, we fly high and stoop swift. And stoop swift? Yeah. So, that kind of gives me an idea of what the different houses, the noble houses are like, right? Yeah. The idea that they all have a motto, they all have, kind of like the houses in Eberron all have a thing that they do. Like, this is our trade. These guys have a number of trades, but they're relatively known for this kind of genre of things whether it's 
finery or wines or ranching or whatever it is, right? I like the idea of the motto because it gives you kind of the tone of their attitude. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Mm. So there's a fucking whack of guilds. There are 44 guilds that are laid out on a very cheap and easy table um, in Dragon Heist. Uh, you get everything from the Council of Farmer Grocers to the Fellowship of Innkeepers, the Fellowship of Carters and Coachmen, the Order of Master Shipwrights, the Fishmongers Fellowship, yeah, the okay. Guild of Chandlers and Lamplighters. Like, there's a lot of Jester's Guild, Jeweler's Guild. There's a Jester's Guild? Right? Five idiots get together every week. My favorite one, and I really hope that, that players latch onto this one, is the Dung Sweepers Guild. What are they? What is like a union? I, yeah, that's what I figured. I figured that they walk around the main streets with like a broom. Yeah, just I hope it's a wander press of digitation. Yeah, so better not to touch her. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you promised us a fifteen minute break every four hours, and it's not being seen. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there are also factions. Now they list out uh, eight factions, and I'm going to go through them all really briefly. Uh, but if you join a faction in um, Dragon Heist. You actually get some opportunity for some boons and rewards. Mm. Uh, so there are plot hooks and rewards attached to them. Um, there are also rules in the DMG about using renown, and it's suggested in Dragon Heist that you do that for this. You use the renown system to build your standing within the faction. So I'm going to go through them in alphabetical order. Um, there's the Brigand Darth, who are mercenaries. They're drow only and preferably male because females don't listen to male. Um, leadership in the Drow Matriarchy. Um, it's only made up of disgraced and dishonorable members of houses, of like Drow nobility. So um, in order for a female Drow to join, she has to denounce the Matriarchy and prove that she's willing to listen to a male. The leader of the guild... Not going to happen in my yeah, house. Not, no. <laughs> not touching that one. No way. Yeah. The leader of the guild often hides his true appearance with illusion magic. And likes to use his carnival ships and parade wagons to distract the populace from illegal activities. His three main agents are drow gunslingers. Okay. Yeah. This is before artificers were a thing in, in this. And they're technically not in in Forgotten Realms. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see. Like, It's weird that they did that. And we don't have anything about guns anywhere. Hmm. Outside of the hippo people. There's hippopotamus people in Mordenkainen's. They have, they have spaceships. Don't worry about it. It's bizarre. Oh, God, don't start with that. <laughs> so uh, you can get three different kinds of support from uh, Bregan Darth. So here they are. The adventurers receive small, unmarked black pouches of coins from an anonymous source. Or the adventurers receive an invitation to dine with Zardoz Zord aboard the flagship, who is the captain of the flagship. There's a spoiler alert in there for actual Dragon Heist that I'm not going to get into, but that's a big deal. Um, during which this leader takes the measure of the party and perhaps offers assistance if they impress him. Also, members can buy off or quietly dispose of individuals who threaten the adventurers, usually without asking. So when you get intimidated by a thug and then you just like pull your swords and turn around and walk away, as you are turning the corner one of these drow mercenaries just appears behind the thug and just slits his throat and takes him off into, you know, the shadows and shit, right? Like, so this one is kind of kind of sketchy. I'm going to go through all eight. You guys tell me which one your favorite is at the end of this. Sure. Then there's the Emerald Enclave, which are protectors of nature. There's 
primarily rangers and druids. Terry's already shaking his head like, I don't give a fuck. Ugh. Um, now, but it's not just your regular ranger and druid bullshit. Because these members of the Emerald Enclave watch over the city of the dead and help keep undead and aberrations out of the city. That's their primary purpose. So they're about the balance of nature, not yeah. trees and shit. All right. Um, Enclave members uh, can expect to get one of three different ways of support. Enclave members share information they've gathered from magical conversations with animals in the city. or So a big spy network is involved there. Um, or a member of the Enclave provides free food and care for the adventurer's animals at Falconmere, which is a noble villa by an orchard and a meadow. Nice. And one adventurer can receive a supernatural charm. And it says, see the supernatural gifts in Chapter 7 of the DMG. Okay. Then there's Force Grey. This is an elite specialized uh, unit of adventurers who must swear to protect and defend Waterdeep with their lives. You do not just get into this. You've got to fucking earn it. Normally, you have to be a member of the City Watch or City Guard before you can even be considered. Oh, it's like the seals or something? Kind of. This acts as a last resort to deal with problems that Waterdeep's politicians and armed forces can't handle. Force Grey support comes uh, by either adventurers who are arrested, they just get released under the loose supervision of an NPC. So if you get up to shit, you kind of get bailed out. Uh, also, the adventurers receive a helpful, uncommon, or rare magic item that they're allowed to use for a time until it mysteriously disappears. Hmm. And also, a respected member of Force Grey helps the adventurers out of a tough situation. So, if you're in good standing, an NPC will come to the rescue. For the Harpers, this is the one that Dave mentioned earlier, um, these are for any smart, non-evil characters, especially bards and wizards. They're altruistic spies who operate behind the scenes to keep evil tyrants out of Waterdeep. If you're a Harper, then um, you get these benefits. The Harpers make common and uncommon potions and scrolls available to the adventurers at a reduced or deferred cost, depending on the circumstances. An NPC feeds useful bits of information to the adventurers, might also offer them temporary shelter. That's really fucking useful when you're running an intrigue campaign and your guys can't figure out the goddamn clues. <laughs> Me. Dave's just nodding silently. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the last one is, if the adventurers are accosted and overwhelmed, one or more Harpers can come to their rescue. A Harper rescue team usually consists of a bard or a mage plus 1d4 plus 3 spies or veterans. Which is not just something to turn your head at. That's The veterans alone, are that's worth a, a consideration there. That's a fucking force. Then there's the Lord's Alliance. This one's a little bit different. You have to be a Waterdavian citizen. Even criminals can join, assuming they can prove their allegiance to Waterdeep. Now, the Lord's Alliance is a confederation of cities along the Sword Coast, and members must come to the aid of other members if they need help. Most of the ranks are made up of diplomats, spies, and assassins. Lord's Alliance support comes in these following ways. The City Watch officials are notified that their characters are on official business for the Lord's Alliance and instructed to provide support whenever they can, which means the Town Guard are your buddies because mm. you're on official city business. A masked lord who serves as advisor to Laryl Silverhand, who is the current open lord of Waterdeep, uh, invites adventurers to dinner at his dilapidated mansion as a pretense for sharing rumors and imparting pearls of wisdom. And the last one is the characters are granted a brief audience with the open lord. So you get to really talk to the mayor. 
The next one is the Order of the Gauntlet. This is for any non-evil character, especially clerics, monks, and paladins, particularly if they follow the right gods. Their job is to seek out and destroy evil before it can gain a foothold. Allegiance to this faction works in tandem with working for a church, temple, or monastery. These guys are peacekeepers, but they're like religious peacekeepers, mm -hmm. almost Knights Templar. Uh, if the adventures require healing or other magic, a member of the order can facilitate meetings with local priests who worship any non-evil de uh, deities. If the adventurers get in trouble with the law, a member of the order puts in a good word for them and tends to their affairs while they're incarcerated. Or an NPC might show up and help the characters in an impending battle. One of the things I didn't touch on was the religion in Waterdeep. All religions are welcome as long as you're not sacrificing anything. Um, no human or animal sacrifices. And uh, even neutral gods and chaotic gods are okay as long as it's not, you know, pure evil. Mm. Uh, however, everyone is super cheap and wants to hold on to their money. It's all about getting as much money as possible. So if there are any big donations required by your religion, it's hard to get a foothold in one. Right, right. The second last one, the penultimate one, is Xanathar Guild. Anyone can join, but has to commit a major crime to get membership. Uh, you, you have to uh, remember, though, that this is not technically an official guild, despite the name, uh, in Waterdeep, because Xanathar is a beholder, and very few people know he is. He's also not the original Xanathar. Xanathar is a title. Mm. Um, and they've all been beholders, but nobody, like very few people know that he's a beholder. Even fewer have seen him or spoken to him directly. Um, competition within the ranks for the Xanathar Guild is fierce and it's a high risk, high reward life. Uh, what you get from joining is any member given an assignment might receive a monstrous bodyguard or assistant, such as a bugbear, kenku, or were rat, who also has secret instructions to kill the guild member if they fail to complete the assignment. Uh, the guild grants access to secret tunnels and safe houses, including hidden cellars underneath Waterdeep. And Xanathar might actually send a gazer to help. Uh, but the gazer will also probably spy on them for Xanathar. Of course. Yep. And then the last one is the, I hope I say this right, Jantarim. This is the Black Network, which is really the black market. Anyone can join. It's a shadow organization that trades mercenaries and goods, including weapons. It's always trying to gain political influence in Waterdeep, but the government and nobility is set up to resist this naturally. Zhendarim is actually a fractured organization, and different parts of it operate individually from, or directly opposed to, other parts of the faction. Zhendarim's support comes in the following ways. Adventurers can procure discounted potions and poisons from a shop in the Trades Ward. An NPC offers affordable mercenaries, either thugs costing two silver per day, or veterans costing two gold per day. An NPC offers loans of up to 2,500 gold pieces with an interest of 10% per 10 day. Nice. Or adventurers can hire a powerful NPC to assassinate someone in return for some undisclosed favor to be called in later. Mm -hmm. So, black market mafia feel to them. Yeah. yeah. So... I, I want to roll. Which one really stands sure. out to you guys? Well, Seven. God, I'm just on fire, hey? Yeah. I'm, I'm Adam, answer your own question. All right. I guess I will. Um, I actually really like the Emerald Enclave. Mm. Um, and it's kind of my unique answer because I'm drawn to a lot of the other ones first. But the Emerald Enclave as being protectors against undead and aberrations. The undead is some great... 
little side mission quest shit, especially exploring the City of the Dead in early, um, uh, like early levels and lower tier. But then when you get into the aberrations, you have a reason to go into Undermountain. So if you're just playing your own homebrew campaign or doing side quests and shit, mm-hmm. there's always something to do with the Emerald Enclave. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of my answer. I like that. Plus, it occurs to me now that I think they released an entire graveyard of, of minis in a set for City of the Dead when Dragon Heist came out. So that's uh, that's kind of fun, too. Yeah, that's and awesome. Emerald Enclave gets to kind of play in that. Yeah, right? that's cool. That's cool. Who's next? Oh, me. Um, the, oh, the, the black market one you said right at the end. Oh, uh, the gendarme. Oh, I would have so much fun with that, skulking around in the middle of the night and meeting people. And don't worry, I got a guy for that and doing dodgy little deals. This just I, sounds like you in regular life, too. This is just my life getting wrapped up with loan sharks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> skulking around in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> meeting people in alleyways. That's right. I, Who's I'd next, Dave? <laughs> I'd, I'd have a lot of fun with that. My character when i was playing duke i think he would have loved that yeah absolutely 100 he would have fit water deep pretty well yeah i think so yeah Uh, i'd have gone with the harpers just because they allow you to do a little bit more you get things for cheaper you get places to stay you get lots of people to come give you a hand they just seem a little more even as a dm it's party friendly yeah exactly so and that's what i'm looking for i'm not necessarily looking for the most interesting path i'm looking for the most useful you know sure yeah i get that and then you'll sprinkle your own flavor of interest as you need on top strategically of it. right exactly yeah. yeah okay well uh before we move on to our last topic i just wanted to remind everyone that you can find us on instagram facebook and at r slash it's a mimic on reddit you can always reach out to us through our email at info at it's a mimic.com because well we love hearing from you guys and any questions that you send us will get added to the list for upcoming mailbag episodes so i've talked a lot I have talked a lot about Waterdeep, um, and I hope you guys kind of have an idea now of, of what you can expect here. I like uh, a couple of interesting things with the fact that it'll never collapse. They've actually put up a magical barrier to keep out flying creatures as well at one point, um, because they were under assault by a bunch of flying creatures and aberrations. Uh, there is a portal underneath the Yawning Portal, which is why it's called the Yawning Portal, which... Is where evil shit comes in. Obviously, yeah. Um, no, the yawning portal is the yawning portal because the giant well in the middle of the bar is the. That's the official reason, right? Right, but but that the 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 well down is supposed to be the core of Hallister's hold from way back when. Oh, is it? I didn't even know that. That's what I got out of it. Yeah. Okay, because. There's also a portal underneath the Yawning Portal, which they opened up underneath the inn to bring all the fiends and undead in. There are so many portals yeah. underneath it, right? Like there's Undermount is just just sick with them. Now, what are the limitations when you play in Undermount before we get any further? The, you can't teleport in and out, right? Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of changes to magic. Anything that's going to planar shift or allow you to leave magically is not going to work. That being said, if you want to teleport your physical body to the ethereal plane and cast etherealness on you and you're still in Undermountain, that's still good. Yeah, you, uh, you can send your consciousness other places. Yeah, yeah, like you can... You do... can visit the astral plane as long as you are astral projecting. 
you know, I actually think astral projection, it's... it's oh, is that one limited? Yeah, I don't think you can use that one. So, um, you're working through through Under Mountain right now. Yeah, there, there are also gates that, like, link up to different levels. You can take the, the portal from level 1 down to level 10. And How so many levels are there? 23, plus there's a bunch of Skull Court, which is in addition, like... There's level three, and then also on level three is Skullport, which also has levels as well. So there, there's more to it than just that. There's a lot. And I mean, some of these, big spoiler alert. You, you're good with that? Yeah. You got to do a three, two, one countdown. All yeah, right. and, and jump forward one minute. Dave, you got a one minute countdown to get this out. And go. All right, so there are different levels, of course. Uh, one of the first things you run into on level one is a map room that has buttons. And pressing the buttons does different things. One of them talks about going to level 16, uh, which has an area called Starport, where you actually teleport to an asteroid and dick around with mind flayers and shit and then come back and, like, the space is involved here. And I think we're done. Okay, so, <laughs> for those of you that have just jumped forward a minute, that was crazy bad shit, and now I want to play Undermount. Uh, no, now, now I want to play Dungeon well. the, there's, there's more. But but every level, not every level, but there are sections of Undermountain that are themed differently. Like, at some point you're fighting Drow, and other points you're fighting Aberrations, and other point you're fighting Undead, right? Like, it's it, there's different um, sections to Undermountain, and it's because Halister Black Cloak was bringing things in and not letting them leave and fucking around with them for his own amusement for literally hundreds of years. Man. And that's why Undermountain is the way it from is. From every corner of every plane, you will yeah. find everything there. It really feels like a funhouse dungeon, Yeah, but that's really strongly railroaded, right? Like, there's a, there's a reason for everything to be here, but there's... Just wacky shit all over the place. There is another force in the dungeon uh, who was an apprentice of his, but was killed, but is still good. That prevents players from overreaching. Oh, nice. Right? So, like, there's some safeguards built in as well. Mm. So, it's, like, there's... It's crazy. I'd be curious to try it, because I wonder how much... Um, I like, <laughs> like, like aesthetic, clean D&D. I like if if this is a theme, this is a theme. I don't want it to be gothic horror and then it's cosmic horror and then it's high fantasy and then we're bouncing around all over. But I think when you pass through a gate or you move to the next level or whatever it is, you know what you're about to step right. into. The, the whole environment changes, right? Yeah. Okay, that would be yeah better. It, it's almost like old classic levels of like shitty old video games, like the 16-bit where now you're in fire caves, everything's fire themed. Now you're yeah. in ice caves, everything's ice. Right. Themed, right. Yes. I'm okay with so. that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, hey, you're entering the slime pits, right? And everything's news, right? For the next level, and it's going to be that kind of shit in here. Um, but uh, but yeah. So for this last bit, now that I've talked so much about this, and we've kind of got an insight now, thanks to Dave on Undermountain, um, guys, pitch me a one shot that you would run in, in either Waterdeep or Undermountain. Yeah. Let's roll dice. Let's go. One shot's on the fly. I thought I was going to roll highest because anytime I'm not sure as I'm rolling, I always roll highest. But I didn't. I have been killing Six. it on dice. Is it, uh, I rolled a 19. Adam, so. answer your own question again. Um, for a one shot, I want to do something out of Skullport. Right? Skullport and City of the Dead are the two. Like, if I'm going to be an Undermountain at Skullport, um, it's only the third level down. So it doesn't have to be super high level characters. Um, but it would really freaking help if it was. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but City of the Dead really does feel like you can run an undead issue in there. And because you have the Emerald Enclave already tied to it, it's easy to say a tomb is burst open. And the old Lords of Water, if you've got zombies in masks and rotten robes that are walking around and like, I could get some creepy imagery out of that. Skullport to me, I feel like I can get into some weird Netherese level shit as well, um, which would be fun. Although I may want to run a mini campaign in that now that I say that out loud. I like the idea of, I would introduce a player to D&D by having them stop the zombie fight that is coming out of one of the tombs in the City of, of the Dead. Yeah. Alright, you're in this great big magical city and there's elves here and dwarves there and halflings there. You're at the Yawning Portal and you hear about this. And there's a faction leader or a guild master. Someone comes over and says, hey, we need your help. It's your job. Come over here and help us. Go find out what all of this disturbance in the graveyard is. Yeah. That sounds like a great introduction to D&D. Beyond just, so you're walking down the road and two bullywugs jump out of the swamp. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> which, <they do>. which, <laughs> is, which is how I introduced Mieka to D&D. Only it was one bullywug. She was level one and the bullywug killed her. <laughs> and that's the game. It's never fun. But... <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, who is next? Me. Uh, I'm thinking uh, the Warriors. I'm thinking get from one location to the other, but leaning into the factions and the guilds and the gangs, and for whatever reason, everybody wants you. But you have to get either yourselves or this thing from one end to the other. It's going to give you a lot of random tables you can play with. Not every group that we've discussed today might want you to kill you. Some might be there trying to get you to help you. Some people may need a Just specific thing from you. To arrest you. They've heard the wrong rumors about you. you. That's it, exactly. And as you're going through these different wards, um, you're on a bit of a time crunch. You're rolling for a lot of encounters. Uh, and you're the, the puzzle being along the way, depending on what you're running into. right? Okay. It's not just going to be you're trying to kill everything. All right, so... Uh-oh. He's got that look. Yeah, this is, this is a weird one, okay? And yeah. it's totally non-traditional. And I don't really know how I would do it. Or, or where I would go with this. But you have a large citywide threat like Tarask level, okay? How about six gigantic statues? No, 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 no. The idea is that your party has to go and take over the six giant statues and run them. Okay, so You're I like Transformers. Up. I like Power Rangers. I, I like just going to say this is Power right? Rangers. So this is so, a specific rim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this is <laughs> Jaegers and Kaiju, okay? So, and then, of course, they've got these big colossal statues that exist. So they got to go and like take over each one uh, individually, which you could use Warforged Titan stats exist. You could reskin it, sort of, maybe, somehow. I actually think, I'd have to double check this, but I think that they have a stat for one of these living statues. Sure, but like there's, I feel like there's a way to do this. I'm coming with you on this, Dave, because, okay... So I'm I'm picturing the map of the cockpit or whatever you're in, but it's like you're on left arm, you're on right arm, you're on whatever. It's not fucking Voltron, you Listen, assholes. We, we got it. But if this person dies, you got no right arm. No, this you got no right arm unless left arm wants to spend their turn doing their movement across to get. I'm all over it. I'm all right, over like, it again. I'm not sure how this would necessarily work, but this is a good high tier one-shot idea that you could do. Yeah, okay, look, if you're dicking around on a Friday night with your friends, they're like, hey, yeah, let's throw together something and be like, give me five minutes. I need to I need to build a mechanic for this stupid nonsense. But I love the idea that the maps would just be the cockpits for whatever. So this map, you're now fighting this map and there's all the little enemy NPCs in there. 
Take out the guy on the wheel. <laughs> Stomp. <laughs> I love the idea too of dropping a battle map with like GI Joes and a dinosaur yeah. from like the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right? Yeah. Uh, that that's pretty fun. Okay. Uh, last question. Pitch me a campaign that you would set in Waterdeep or Undermountain that is okay. not literally Dragon Heist or Dungeon of the Mad Men. Well, there goes okay. my idea. Yeah. Oh, I rolled a 17. I got an 18. I fucking killed it on this episode with rolls. I did not. No, you you sucked a fat one. Terry, what do you got? I might lean into something like The Prince and the Pauper. If anybody remembers that old movie where they look exactly the same for whatever reason, then they swap places. There's a prince and a pauper, and they end up in the opposite side. But it may be for whatever reason, you're... Elven Ranger looks exactly like this person for whatever I need more than 10 seconds to make it up reason and you need to get your party member into that seat of power without anybody realizing it's them and it's how are you going to do it. Oh yeah and you could have and it'd be easy too because you could replace them by maybe they're one of the Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. And you get to wear the mask and the cloak. Exactly and you might have to uh, you know you're you might have to look for not sponsorship. You show up and it's just fucking eyes wide shut. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but you're looking for like you're trying to get you're using the factions to gather allies and things and maybe playing them off against each other. And yeah. So, I, I, the can't, I can't get the idea of the, the the Lords of Waterdeep just being like the most ridiculous, silly bullshit in the world. Everybody goes in and sits down. You think it's going to be big and serious. And all you hear is, everybody change places. <laughs> fucking have a very merry on birthday. And like, oh, fuck. Now I'm just mad. <laughs> Who's next after me? Dave? Uh, no, no, you. No, that'd be me. Dave can't. can't Dave's not allowed to play. No. Um, you have the opposite problem with freaking Call of Cthulhu. Um... So the the point is to roll low. Yeah, I guess you're consistent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that I would really want to overthrow the Lords Alliance, mm. or not the Lords Alliance, the uh, Lords of Waterdeep. I would come in as a faction, probably one of the criminal, the underground criminal factions. Um, spin this great big tale about corrupt politicians because every D and D party is going to buy into that shit. There are a whole bunch of unknown masked people that you've got to hunt down and track them and this is like a, a intrigue spy level campaign where you're you're systematically assassinating people um and then it turns out in the end that you're working for xanathar or um one of the one of the um black network um operatives or disney. whatnot so um <laughs> or disney um but no i you know what now that i say that i think that what i would do is i would have the whole thing Remember I told you about how the Lords of, um, the Lords of Waterdeep got utterly fucking murdered by the Guildmasters? Yeah. I would run that. I just wouldn't tell the players that. I would set it however many hundred years oh, in that's the past. Smart. That's, that's really smart. Just go into lore and just play out the lore. Yeah. And then have these guys just be the powerful assassins. Um, and uh, that only leave two unknown members. Like we heard rumors that there's 19... But there were really only 17. The other two were just rumors. They were dead ends or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then you can give them a fucking Wikipedia article to say, here's what happened afterwards, yeah. right? Once they've completed it. So they get the Guildmasters into power. It doesn't go well, but they, they complete their objectives. They get rich, they get powerful, and then they fuck off on ships down, down south on the rich trading ships. And that's the dream, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, very south from Canada. I'm not... 
Uh, I'm not stopping <laughs> too close to no. <laughs> Anyways, Dave, I would probably incorporate Skullport into it in the, the Xanathar Guild because I feel like there's a lot there to unpack. I also um, another little spoiler uh, for Dungeon of the Mad Mage is Volo shows up at the beginning or can anyways. So I like the idea of introducing these characters that there are actual physical books yeah. that are written by them. So, and then maybe trying to figure out how that information got into these books, you, you know, like oh, yeah. try, try to blend. I like the idea the fiction of, with reality. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. You know what I would do for freaking Volo is I would say, Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm writing a book. You're going into Undermountain anyway, where there's just this fucking menagerie of bullshit down there. Tell me about every monster that you fight so I can publish my book. And I, I would write in the in the front of their book uh, with help from and then their character name, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you could have a lot of fun with that. I, I, one of my characters in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage we're doing is a glamour bard, which shows up in Xanathar's book. Right? Sure. That's where the the subclass comes from so i'm I'm trying to figure out how i'm trying to work that in is he going to be the inspiration for xanathar to write about glamour bars exactly so and i would uh, i mean that's just flavor for what i'm doing but you could base a campaign on this and yeah. i mean if you could find the right prices on amazon too you could have some sort of inscription signed from volo and then how, if you've got three players or four players at your table at the end of the campaign at the end of of whatever you're doing I would hand out, here's your copy of Volo's with an actual inscription from oh, Volo on the brilliant. inside, you know, dedicated to the player. So everybody gets their own personal copy. That's awesome. I think that's I a would, lot of fun. I would maybe play with the character of Volo as maybe having him just exaggerate certain details. So when you come back and report things about, and yeah, this monster had like a dull red glow, had brilliant red flames coming oh. from his face. No, they weren't brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to say brilliant because for marketing reasons, it sells better. It yeah. sells better. Yeah. I, I like the idea of, yeah, he was a small goblin who was walking away from us. He was wearing a kind of funny hat. A Nilbog, you say. CR-12. <laughs> CR, CR 12, Exactly. Right? <laughs> we have information on Drow. We're really looking for a monster with more of a universal look. If that's okay. <laughs> wow, Volo. Shit. <laughs> I think that that's something that's right in front of you. you got Mordenkainen's. You've got Volo's. You've got Xanathar's. Tasha's is coming out. Like, it's right there for you to work with. Yeah. You know? Do it. So... I think that's a, that's a fantastic idea. I'm I'm stoked about that. I would, I mean, spoiler alert: Mordenkainen shows up in one of them as, in one of the modules as well. I'm assuming Tasha will at some point. Um, I mean, obviously Xanathar does in Dragon Heist, and Volo does in Mad Mage. So I gotta learn about Tasha. She hot. She sounds like she would be. You'll yes, you'll like her. She's she's a hot goth chick. Perfect. She's literally a witch. But she's got an ugly laugh. Perfect. Really? Well, it's it's kind of hideous. That's it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button there, or just tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. And don't forget to come back next week when Dave and Terry will be running away because... We're covering gnomes. Yay. Gnome, thank you. We got Dan and a special guest star in. I'm super stoked about it. So The Dan's in? Uh, no. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. In your opinion, what's the biggest challenge for DM to run D&D in a metropolis setting? Dice? Oh, sure. Seven. Uh, I got a 12. I got a 9. How come every time someone asks a question, they just answer their own question? That's this, because the, we have a flawed system. Yeah, the, the, dice, the dice are out to get us. Um, so the, I don't know, I'm going to say that just the sheer amount of, of coming up with freaking names and mm. jobs and, and you know your players are going to hit a metropolis and be like, hey, where's the nearest belt store? They're not looking for the leatherer anymore. They're looking for where where can we get velvet for the inside of our wagon? Yeah. And as a DM, I just like Jesus fuck. Or a specialist store for whatever stupid plan they've come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I would like a quadruple headed axe, please. Fuck. Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. <laughs> well, that's when you just say, Well, it's gonna be over here, but it's going to be more money than you have, and it's gonna take them a month and a half to make it. Uh, I often rely on time constraints to, yeah. to rein that shit in, but you do get those damn questions where it's that's not necessarily going to work. Hey, I, let's go find a wig. There's a wig store, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, like, it, where are we going with this nonsense today? Yeah, exactly. Right? So, yeah. anyway, that's me. Who's next? Uh, I find the biggest problem is that I rely on maps far too much. I don't do a lot of theater of the mind. So when I'm trying to paint this big cityscape, I have a hard time placing things in it. Uh, and I feel like it doesn't give them a good picture of where everything is. Because you're like doing it on the fly. Just being like, this yeah. one's down. Here. Yeah, this one's over here and this one's here. And then it takes you two hours to get over to here and like just have a shopping district and like a butcher district and yeah yeah i mean that's the easy way to go but i mean i i often just make myself suffer through poor choices mm-hmm. and also when you're dming yeah, <laughs> yeah. terry uh i think uh, overall for me it's just project management with npcs Again, because at, at any one time they may need any NPC. You know what players are like? They'll be like, I'm going to grab somebody on the street real quick and talk to them about where I might find this. But for me, where's I, the nearest Goliath? Yeah. Fuck. But I, yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. But I take such pride in the character of the NPCs because I like the role playing pillar so much that I panic if I don't think I'm going to be able to produce a credible or a believable NPC. I'm like, but I don't know anything about this person. I, his name is uh, Twilliam Twallis. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I can't come up with it on the fly. I need to prep it. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs>